0: This aberration, whose only means of expression are wanton violence and destruction. I'm hoping to prove that within every normal system, there exists an aberration. Something different
1: weird aberration
2: society welcome back to mutual aberration society um, i'm ryan jackson and today i'm here with blauer guys now blauer uh i allow people um when they first come on to the podcast to do their own introductions so uh the mic is yours tell the listeners who blauer guys is
1: Well, first of all, feel free to uh, call me Jacob now. I've sort of, I'm not complete, I haven't completely shed the Blower Guy skin, but I'm trying to, I'm pivoting more towards, it's not my exact name, but like I'm pivoting, and this will be part of my introduction, is being more in, you know, more closer to who I actually am, because, you know, eventually when I start doing important media meetings for my uh, publication, I don't want to be like... Have them be like, all right, so which one of you is Blower? And then be like, oh, that's me. You know, I want to <laughs> be, you know, I'm doing this as Jacob Everett because it's something that's real and I want to do it. And that publication is Apocalypse Confidential, the premier psyop sleaze rag of whatever side of Twitter this is, or no side, <laughs> all sides, whatever it is. Um, it's Schrodinger's uh, psyop sleaze rag, I guess. And we publish uh, short fiction, poetry, essays, reviews, basically the whole gamut. Um, We sort of specialize in underworld kind of stuff, both in the criminological sense, so like mafia, mob, pulp kind of stuff, but also demonological sense, so focused on like occult and, you know, creepy, you know, that kind of esoteric, you know, ritual sacrifice kind of thing. Um and yeah and that that's about it I guess uh, that's what I've been up to
2: yeah uh, I love I'll actually um I've been following uh, a, uh basically Apocalypse Confidential since since you guys started it up um so I'm vaguely awesome, vaguely just uh, aware of it I actually I I definitely like the name um it's it's a very uh Elroy esque name um
1: oh yeah uh, well it comes from it's basically a, a mashup of Apocalypse Culture that mm-hmm. uh, Feral House published, like, mm-hmm. back in the 80s, which was, like, a compendium of, like, you know, weird, offbeat, sleazoid, schizoid, all kinds of void yeah. essays yeah. about, you know, all basically before the internet, you would, like, read these Feral House books, like, Apocalypse Culture. So it's that meets, like, L.A. Confidential by Elroy, so... That's the two halves of the underworld, right there.
2: And and how I came to know you was actually your former podcast, Elroy Elroy Boys. Uh, yes. I was, I don't even know how I came across Elroy Boys. Uh, maybe it was just me looking for James Elroy related content, and it like led me to uh, Elroy Boys, which was a great podcast. And um, R.I.P. to 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 Elroy Boys. Maybe one day uh, it'll come back, uh, but. Um, before we really get on the topic of Blonde, I did want to ask you a little bit about Elroy Boys and sort of James Elroy in general, because initially, when I first approached you, I wanted to talk about uh, Elroy. So now I'll just use this podcast as an excuse to kind of talk about Elroy with you. Awesome. Um what
1: was the Dude, gen- yeah, and that fits in because blonde, I feel like has very I de- definitely definitely
2: it definitely does, and, and considering sort of like the historical figures it uses in the movie, you know, obviously Marilyn Monroe uh, and or mm-hmm. Norma Jean, however, <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, JFK himself makes his own appearance. It is very absolutely it is very Elroy esque in, in in some ways, so it's it's appropriate. So that being said, uh, the genesis, what was the genesis of of Elroy Boys?
1: Well, I had always been – I had been a fan of James Elroy ever since uh, freshman year of high school when I picked up a copy of American Tabloid because I was too scared to ask a clerk to find me a copy of Serpent and the Rainbow for – I was taking an independent reading class, and I was going to read that book. And then I was like, eh, you know, not too scared. I'm not a pussy about asking clerks or stuff, but I was <laughs> like, you know what? fuck it. I'm not going to ask someone. I remember running, you know, walking through the halls or the bookshelves and seeing this one book that was just half of it was a crime scene photo and instantly was like, next time I'm here, I need to get that book. And so I was there that next time. And I got that book and it was American tabloid. And, you know, ever since then, I have been a full on demon dog, you know, acolyte.
2: Yeah,
1: And, uh, And then uh, got onto Twitter, and then, you know, we bounced around the scene a bit. I uh, jungled up with Gorgonzola Man, now uh, Brendan, Mm -hmm. and uh, Sam, Rubber Widow, and uh, both found out that we were, all three of us were huge Elroy fans, and one of us, you know, I'll go ahead and take credit for it, why not, since I'm the one talking right now, (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll take the credit for being like, hey we all love Elroy. We've all been on podcasts. I think at that point, we had all been on Perfume Nationalist. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were like, let's, you know, do a podcast about James Elroy. And, you know, the rest is sort of a short-lived history. Like you said, it's sort of, it's uh, kind of on semi- permanent hiatus just for sort of personal, Sam had been going through some stuff. I'm not at liberty to talk about, but
2: of course, of course. Yeah, things are
1: yeah. things are cool with everyone between us, but you know, personal life gets in the way. Yeah. Um, but you know, as you also suggest, there's always that door open for uh, you know, as I like to When I am drunk at two in the morning, I'll sometimes randomly tweet the Elroy boys will write again. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I've seen, I've seen seen a few of those and I was like, Oh really? I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked, I liked the podcast. I liked the sort of, uh, not only did you guys talk about Elroy's work, but then you guys would also typically incorporate, you know, his stuff with a film. And there was an aspect that you guys did, which I kind of, I dug to, uh, which is, I think you guys used to like, uh, add in sort of the the final scratches in, on the podcast, which was a nice touch. I, I like yeah. that. It, that seemed right in terms of aesthetically for some Absolutely. an Elroy podcast. Uh now that being said, um Blonde. <laughs>
1: uh, what a what, what a movie.
2: What a movie. You're yeah, right. For, first thing I will say is uh Andrew I'm I've been an Andrew Dominique uh fan uh since probably since Chopper. Um. well I liked Chopper right but then uh, it was his subsequent follow ups that really really sold me which was obviously the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford and uh, I really liked his his uh, George V Higgins adaptation of Coogan's Trade which is uh, killing them softly um, Uh. what was your uh, what was your awareness of Dominique before this movie were you a Dominique fan were you Sort of on the fence. What, what what did you think about Andrew Dominic prior to Blonde?
1: I I mean, I've never I'm a complete novice to Dominic's work. I haven't seen any of those movies. Mm. I've heard great things, of course. Yeah. Um it's but yeah, all of those movies sound right up my alley. It's just kind of sometimes you just don't get around to things, right, but right. now I feel like I've got to. You know, it's weird. I've always kind of there are three directors for whatever reason sort of meld into my mind there's Andrew Dominic there's Mark Romanek and then because they have similar names and I think they both came from music videos and then and I always sometimes confuse Andrew Dominic also with John Hillcoat who did Proposition I see that Uh,
2: yeah yeah I see I, I can see why people do that with the Hillcoat I think I'm not sure is Hillcoat from Australia too
1: he might be He's somewhere. Yeah.
2: yeah he's some, he's definitely not from America. And the interesting thing about Mark Romanek, uh, Mark Romanek is this guy who's directed all these videos. these like sort of iconic like videos for like Janet Jackson. And then like he did one hour photo, which, which is, yeah. great, which is his one feature I believe. Right. He doesn't really delved into features and an interesting story about him, at least for me and my sort of life, uh, was, uh, I work from time to time with the actor Tyrese Gibson and I was over at Tyrese's house in Los Angeles uh, and damn, that sounds so fucking name dropping, but, but, but I swear it, it oh, relates, hey, go it, relates it. it relates to Romanek. Um, and he was like, yo, uh, I was watching this music video and I'm looking at this, I'm looking at how, and it might've been, was it, it might've been the, the Janet Jackson video, but he was like, I'm, I'm loving how this this is photographed. And I love this. Who, who did this? And it was like, it's Mark Romanek. And I was like, yeah. He was like, do you know about he asked me if I knew who Mark Romanek was. And I was like, the name rang a bell. Then I looked him up literally on my phone. I was like, oh, yeah, it's the guy who did one hour photo. And like he was like, oh, let me see. And then as I started looking, I was like, this guy has a very interesting career because he was one of those people who sort of like it felt like just on a cursory glance into into his sort of background like Mark Romanek is one of those guys like that's like a director for hire who could pretty much pick and choose things that he wants to do and it kind of got the sense that like this guy just does whatever the hell he wants and he really is not pressured but so Tyrese literally had him on the phone within an hour um I guess that's the perks of being a fucking celebrity right um and they were talking on the phone and he just was like a really like laid-back cool guy just like you know um yeah, and that's my side story about Mark Romanek, and I've I've been interested in in, in to see what he, if he would ever come back into movies, uh, but I can see how some sometimes like a director like that and a guy like Andrew Dominic and then of course John hillcote necessarily like how how you would necessarily might might confuse you know there's another director uh, uh, who I, I I would put into that uh, sort of thing too, and I'm trying to remember uh, did Hillcoat direct The Rover
1: or not i don't i don't know here let me check yeah the rover. the rover
2: did he go 2014 was the, or was it the guy who did uh animal kingdom that did that animal was kingdom? yeah
1: that was david might showed or mitchell yeah see,
2: so mitchell yeah so so i could see people sort of like confusing but i've dominic's been on my radar for a while and like that and this is one of the movies that i was really anticipating um he also has a uh which i haven't seen he also has a uh a documentary about Nick Cave. Uh Nick Cave and uh what's uh 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 who who else is it? Um he has the same name as the comic writer, Warren Ellis. Right? Oh yeah, uh, Warren Ellis. Yeah, yeah, Warren Ellis, because Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, who also did the score, uh the the fantastic music for 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 Balon. Uh but he has a documentary. Um, I don't know if you've you've seen it or heard about it, the documentary that he did on Nick Cave that just came out this year.
0: Mm-mm.
2: Yeah, I actually uh, I'm going. I'm probably gonna watch that as soon as possible. Uh, but it looks really good. And Nick Cave, you know, he's very uh. And
1: Nick Cave wrote the proposition by hillco so hillco. it's all just yeah, a, it's, it's, it's all just a whole fucking Australian scene. Yeah, they Australians are stealing the jobs of hardworking American <laughs> Hollywood directors. Yeah,
2: it's called uh, this much I know to be true. Yeah. And it's basically a, a, a documentary about how, you know, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis sort of, like, create their music. And it's a really behind – it's supposed to be good. So uh, cool. definitely one to put to put on your list because it's definitely on mine. But on to Blonde. Now, um, what's very interesting about this movie is – well, there's a lot of things interesting about this movie. Uh, but one of the interesting things about this movie is uh, it feels – one of the things I noticed immediately, right, about this movie was I was like the NC17 thing, one, right? Um mm-hmm. and I don't know about you, right? But at the end of this movie, did you feel that this was an NC17 movie?
1: It It's weird because it didn't ha- I mean obviously there there was a couple of it was mostly just the mood that was mm-hmm. so oppressively filled with dread, and I mean that in a good good way. way. It should be. That, like, made it seem like it should be NC-17. But, like, I don't know, because, like, I was, like, the rape scenes were bad, obviously, but, Mm -hmm. like, they weren't done in, like, a super graphic way that seemed to warrant an NC-17. Yeah. So it almost seems like the producers, like, requested it as, like, a kind of like marketing thing to like you know in like the sort of the old old mode of like seventies exploitation flicks where it's like you know no one no exceptions no one under the age of seventeen will be allowed in the theater kind of thing. So like I feel like you're so like suppose you're just a regular sort of Netflix scroller and you're scrolling through and you're, you know, you may have heard of blonde, but then you see that it has NC 17. You're immediately going to want to watch that.
2: Yeah. Um, that's an interesting thing. You're, I think that they definitely leaned into that as part of the marketing for this for sure. Um, but another part of me thinks, um, I think a few things about that. One being that if this movie was released 10 years ago, even six years ago, this would be an R, this would be an R right. Yeah. And I think the fact that Blonde is NC seventeen kind of speaks to the way that you know Disney has sort of like ruined the brain of adults, right? (laughs) You know, There's
1: also there's also that factor where they feel like even the most sort of tamest rape scene is going to be considered literal rape in the minds of the audience member. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And And I mean, who knows who are it'd be interesting to figure out what like the demographic of the ratings board is these days, whether they have like a bunch of, you know, zoomers or whatever. Um, But yeah, there's, there definitely that's a component to it where simultaneously they're genuinely, well, simultaneously they want it to be a marketing gimmick that gets people to watch it. But then also there's a genuine effort to kind of prevent people from watching it. At yeah. The same
2: time. yeah yeah and, and 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 to speak to the uh nc-17 rating um some i feel like i appreciated this movie not only aesthetically right not only sort of the way uh i mean the obvious you know um the filmmaking itself right the performances etc uh but i also feel that what's what's very interesting is and it kind of speaks to sort of the point we're at in the culture, right. Is that like this movie for do for Andrew Dominique to make this movie and take the approach that he took in 2022 and for, uh, uh, Ana de Ar- uh, Ana de Armas to be willing to do, uh, this movie and do the things that she does in this movie. Uh, yeah, I-, I have to like give them both like a lot of credit for that because, uh, a lot of the negative uh a lot of the negative responses and to like in, in criticisms that this movie has has been getting um it has nothing to actually do with the quality of the film. It has actually it has nothing it has all to do with the fact that they're doing things that in previous eras were are were, we''re just deemed as like, oh, this is just adult movies. like and they made yeah, a movie absolutely. that's they made a movie that's for adults. They made a movie yeah. that deals with adult shit and doesn't treat people like their children. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Anna DeArmo, I, I know one of the things about her just being, you know, uh showing her breast throughout the movie, uh just openly, like you don't see that in modern film anymore. Yeah. America. You don't
1: really have any like movie nudity anymore.
2: Not anymore. And just, I know, I know for a fact that people that probably bother people too. You know what I mean? I, I feel like in terms of like, at least the people who, who are, it's, the most vocal critics of this movie. You know what I mean? Cause again, we live in a, a, a world now where depiction is endorsement. You know, it's a very, it's very, yeah. it's, it's very childish. It's very, it's very like, yeah, I don't know. And like, again, this idea that like the movie, and again, I know, I don't know if you've, if you've uh, read any of the sort of uh, negative criticism
1: about this movie, but like I try to avoid it just because I know it pisses yeah, the fuck out. Yeah, it'll me. just it'll but make like,
2: it will just enrage you.
1: <laughs> yeah, cool. Because it's like, well, the, their big complaint is that it's exploitative, but it. Well, first of all, it's not exploitative because <laughs> it's a movie about exploitation. exploitation, right? But then on the other hand, it's also kind of like if it was exploitative. Who gives a shit? It's a movie, movie. you know. It's not
2: <laughs> actual, real. It's not real. <laughs> like Marilyn Monroe was a real person and she went through real shit, but this is not real. This is fake. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's not a like. So yeah, this this it's just weird. How again? I feel like the Disneyfication and Disney owning everything and like the MCU specifically, uh, sort of like infantilizing the audiences uh, today to the degree where. Now, everything has to be a fucking after school special, right? Like everything has to have a sort of moral uh lesson that is taught to the audience as you know what I mean that
1: like too yeah. that, but also, I feel like it either has to be an after school special that just reaffirms reaffirms yes. their yes yes reaffirms their sort of identity or ideology or whatever. Mm. But even arguably worse than that is that most Netflix you know gruel is just meant to be like background noise like that's how all these people are able to watch like fucking 12 hours of a tv show <laughs> is just because they put it on the background like while they're mm-hmm. working their email jobs or they're just like sort of like moping around their apartment and stuff like they this, like are so arguably a worse fate of a movie or a tv series is just to be kind of on in the background but what blonde demands of you is that you actually sit up and pay attention to the screen and actually watch it and regard it you know
2: yeah yeah definitely and i feel people just aren't really capable of <laughs> uh i won't say I, I some of us exist clearly right. um <laughs> some of us are able to but it. it, it is a movie that is people complain about it being bleak and i'm like yeah some movies are meant to be bleak like you know so that some movies are are a meditation on like the the what it is to be uh, a human and like how part of the human experience is uh being miserable
1: (laughs) you know what i mean like and that's like you know what's galling about that is there will be then these people who like pretend to be you know they'll pose as like David Lynch fans and all that (laughs) stuff and then and then they'll you know be turn around and be horrified by blonde or turned off by it when it's like obviously you didn't get the assignment of movies like Mulholland Drive Mm -hmm. and uh inland empire and stuff like that which are extremely bleak and just like haunting and stuff like that and i feel like blonde is now i feel like now on the internet when people describe something as Lynchian, they just mean it as mean it as like oh it's just kind of weird or whatever (laughs) but Lynchian in the true sense is basically what a movie like blonde is which is like the sort of like hollowed out haunted kind of quality
2: yeah it it definitely has that haunted quality which is appropriate given that it's dealing with hollywood uh it's dealing with you know the seedy underbelly of hollywood you know this is this is this is very much like an elroy
1: yeah, you would expect Fred Otash. or Yeah, like
2: I was expecting Fred Otash to make an appearance or something with Hush Hush Magazine or some
1: shit. Yeah, like uh, Ranger uh, Abortion or something. Like yeah, that.
2: yeah. And oh, and that's another thing about this movie, too. It doesn't, not only does it not shy away from the exploitation of sort of uh, that's inherent to hollywood which is another thing that's mm-hmm. I- ironic like exploitation and hollywood go together like fucking peanut butter and jelly like the, the, <laughs> like it's part Absolutely. of the business you don't ha- you can't have hollywood without exploitation so it's just weird that like hollywood is sort of b- trying to uh, rebrand itself as this beacon of morality when it's like yeah you know elroy came up you didn't come up with those novels i've said this plenty of times like he didn't just come out of the yeah he made it up but like that didn't just come from nothing (laughs) like you know exactly it's based on some shit that actually exists and like it's just funny like this movie is one of the few movies that's period piece based that's set in a certain era that doesn't shy away from the the actual realities of that time you know what i mean they don't they don't try to like whitewash it they don't try to like make it like okay now we got to make this woke you know what i mean like they're not like you know what i mean cuz it's the 50s it's the fucking like that that wasn't even a thing you know what i mean like and and this idea that like uh the the those eras need to be depicted in a way that makes it palatable for sort of uh zoomers or whoever uh, millennials or uh it's just kind of you know it's anti art you know
1: it yeah it sense felt sense. it felt totally accurate to mm-hmm. the period mm-hmm in a sort of like non-judgmental way that was you know it obviously it was bleak but like it wasn't bleak in a way to reinforce the sort of like modern morality it was bleak in the Mm -hmm. specific way of that time period like you didn't have you didn't like have any like 2022 stand-ins who like make like a two-minute speech about like her agency or
2: whatever (laughs) Yeah, yeah which was which is what you get out of 99% of these period movies that you see today, right? Which yeah. makes which makes blonde stand out even more, you know. Um, which is appropriate. Blonde, what does it what is blonde stands out? It's it's a yeah. bright, vivid color that like juxtaposed against any other, you know, darker color, it really pops. And I feel like that is a good metaphor for the way blonde as a film stands out amongst other films that you could bracket. Under sort of this kind of movie, a biopic set, a period piece biopic, you know, being released about a, you know, uh, a famous uh, Hollywood star in 2022 like that. We've seen those movies a lot, um, but none of them have actually taken the approach that Dominique takes in blonde um, because that approach is no longer viewed as uh, socially acceptable you know what I mean <laughs> uh yeah. and, and, and that's that's where all the sort of because it, it's like I feel like there's a few things that are, are really funny um about the criticism it's like just to see how many people have gotten it wrong and like to see you that in real see. time right because I do feel like this is a movie that like five years from now 10 years from now it'll it will get the critical appraisal unanimously oh, 100%.
1: Yeah.
2: unanimously right which is right right now people are pretending that it's not you know like they're pretending it's this some people are pretending it's this bad thing, like, you know what I mean? Like, um, but like it will stand the test of time. Like it will really be one of those movies where it's like, oh, like, no, this is really good. And then movies where like people were were praising that no one talks about, like how many of those movies are there? There's a lot like uh, what was the what was the uh, one night in Miami? Remember that? Remember that movie? No,
1: not in the.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't even know Reinforcing about your point. And so I did I never watched it, but like when it came out, they were like, "Oh, it's, it's just it's about one night in Miami," and they and it, it it's about a night that happened with uh, Malcolm X, uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, a couple of other famous historical Black people in in the era, right? And it was being touted as this like, but it's like it was really just like a very like. not a good depiction of who those men were in general. Like, you know what I mean? It it wasn't honest. It, It was, it was very, all of the edge was, was sheened off. They were, they were, you know what I mean? At least what I've heard and at least what I've saw of it, it looked like what you get typically now, which is this sort of like, you know, it's, it's been, it's been nerfed like, you know what I mean? Yeah. All, all of the things that, you know what I'm saying? It nerfed the people It nerfed the history. Muhammad Ali wasn't like a fucking politically correct person. You know what I mean? Yeah, like exactly. uh, like Malcolm X wasn't politically correct. You know, he said a lot of shit, you know what I mean? Like uh, and and they weren't again. But it's like weird to watch these historical figures uh, like be depicted. And then you you can like feel them tiptoeing around sensitive subjects that they would never tiptoe around. Um. And blonde just doesn't do that. Like it's just like, oh yeah, these this of course this Hollywood executive would bend Marilyn Monroe over in in the fucking you know to and and fuck her, and, and that's how she gets a job because that's what happened. That's the type yeah. of and, and, and
1: it's like people are saying that that's disrespectful to her legacy, but it's more disrespectful to shy away, away from, from that it. and yeah. then to like you know it'd be disrespectful. It sounds like in this uh one night in Miami to just like. Take these historical figures like puppets and just use them to parrot your sort of points. Whereas mm. it's actually respectful to, you know, show the grueling exploitation that we she went through. Um, another example I can think of, and just because that title made me remind reminding me of it, is last night in Soho. Edgar uh, you're right. <laughs> which, Ed, you're yeah. right yeah. which that was an interesting one because. It's kind of a sort of, you know, eye-rolling, very 2010s, 2020s, like, female empowerment, exploitation, time travel kind of thing. Like, things back then were bad and stuff like that. But, like, actually watching it, like, that movie was, like, they. it's clear that they obviously marketed it that way for, like, the sort of Marvel mush-brained people. Because the movie is actually a very sort of weird gothic grand Guignol sort of giallo flick. yeah um And so that just sort of shows some mismatch, like shows what they're trying to make, because obviously marketing isn't just how to get people to watch the movie. It also is informing the way that you're supposed to watch the movie. So that they were clearly trying to be like, all right, this is how you're supposed to see the movie. Um, The other thing about blonde and stuff in terms of like the title and the sort of image significance is obviously another compare another, you know, you have platinum blonde. And when I think of platinum, what I think is it's obviously very shiny and reflective, but it also can like sort of gleam black from like a certain perspective. And I feel like that fits very well with this movie because the color's except in the moments when it does flash the color stock, it was a very sort of black and white movie in turn, like very like silver and blacks. And I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. That's one thing that I've been trying to tease out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's di- y- y- to really talk about the use of color in the way Andrew Dominique decides when to use color and when to go in black and white. It's very, it's obviously very thought out um and it's very interesting because like it would pop in and out of the movie but never in a mm. way that was it never it never was jarring right like and there was even when you didn't understand like initially why it was going to color it still felt organic to the to the piece right yeah. like it was and you can tell like that he he has reasonings behind okay this scene will be played out in color as opposed to you know black and white um and I'm, I, I need to rewatch the movie to really get a better sense of, like, which scenes specifically uh, were color and which scenes weren't. Like, I do remember uh, her, obviously, when she's a child in the beginning and there's a fire that's in color, right? Uh, yeah. And then, of course, there's the moments where they show her, like, her photo shoots when she's just Norma Jean. And they, they give these big popping color spreads of her on these magazines, right? And then you have also the scene where she gets her her meeting with the with the president of the studio, you know, that mm-hmm. scenes in color. And, and, and there's the guy who's sort of her who creates Marilyn Monroe when they first meet. Yeah. Right. Like and uh, like
1: the beach scene when she like has the miscarriage and even within the color scenes, because obviously like the beach, the beach sequence has a sort of different grain to it than like that opening sequence with like the Hollywood Hill and flames. Yeah. Um, what it reminds me of is uh, two movies, JFK by Oliver Stone Yeah. yeah. and Bram Stoker's Dracula by Francis Ford, Ford Coppola. Coppola. Yeah. And those movies, they have different sort of aspect ratios and film stock and editing and all that shutter, you know, all that sort of jargon and sort of the thesis that I'm sort of working on with those three pair JFK, Dracula, and uh, Blonde, is that each of those movies is kind of about how, like, dark for dark forces impinging on the reality of the main characters, and that fracturing kind of is reflected in the fractured styling of the film. So like with Bram Stoker's Dracula, obviously Dark Force is Dracula. Um, And then with JFK, the Dark Force is sort of like the deep state or the Leviathan or the unspeakable or whatever you want to call the conspiracy. And then with Blonde, the Dark Force is Hollywood.
2: Right. Yeah, I think that's that's spot on. And I just you mentioned aspect ratio. And I thought it was very interesting, too, that Dominique decided to use like the, the 137 with the bars on the side. Um, Mm -hmm. I I do like every, again, everything about that is just, I mean, it felt correct. You know what I mean? It felt like, okay, like Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do this. And, and despite it being in that aspect ratio, it doesn't take away from the film having the scale, right? It doesn't take away from its, its scale at all. Like, I mean, it is an intimate movie that, that documents, you know, Marilyn Monroe's life, but it's also very, it feels very epic in a way, in a way, you know, e- epic at, and simultaneously intimate, which I think is a hard thing to pull off. You know yeah. what I mean? I think that's a very hard thing to pull off, but blonde manages to do that. Like, for example, like you notice like at the movie premieres, like just how big the the crowds are. Like, that's one thing that I noticed, like watching this movie was like, holy shit. Like, like there was like hundreds of people, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. in, 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 like, in, and I think he deliberately sort of made,
1: well, it's like it's like it's like a great way to depict her loneliness. It's like it's kind of like the claustrophobia that you might feel like in like, the desert. Like, yeah, it's like a wide open space. but, like somehow you guess her to feel trapped in like, a weird way,
2: right. You know how. And I like how he leans into sort of like making those making those hurt attending those like giant movie premieres as he makes those moments almost like, Specific, specifically toward later in the movie where they become like horror scenes in a way like they're like mm-hmm. you know what i mean like oh, like absolutely. even even with his you know even when she's going i think maybe it's the premiere at the end of some like it hot um uh, where where she's moving through the red carpet and then you got all the the paparazzi and the crowd of people like screaming her name and then they do the the very kind of you know very cheap easy sort of like uh effect with the people's mouths
1: yeah and, I, it, and that part was yeah, it was like a, right. almost like a Bosch painting it was yeah crazy. it was so
2: cool and it just goes to show you how you can just use these sort of like very simple techniques that like in a way that's effective you know what i mean like yeah. like because you could use that effect and it'd be just like we see mo- people use like very sort of easy digital effects like that and like maybe more low budget horror movies and it's kind of like takes you out of it but in, in a way it's like in this movie because this movie has an actual budget and an actual scale and it's used in a specific way, it's just so, it makes it all the more sort of, like, unreal and, like, creepy. You
1: know what yeah, I mean? Like, it's kind of, or, like, another example is, like, at the beginning when, like, the photo of her father or her supposed father, like, starts talking to her. And, like, yeah, it, at first it looks kind of hokey, but then it just kind of becomes unsettling. And, yeah, it's like when Lynch does, like, ps1 level graphics Mm. and like twin peaks the return or like in tree of life when malik uses deliberately like obviously they could be doing better effects but there is something specific about using a kind of lower grade that feels closer to reality, or rather it's not closer to reality but it heightens the unreality of it
2: Right. The fact that it's like unnatural is like what makes it sells it weirdly. Like, right. It's like it's like deliberately unnatural, deliberately sort of like leaning into that and and, and really letting that breathe is it does. It does create this unsettling effect. And and I know a lot of people have been comparing this movie to like fire walk with me, you know, and uh, speaking of Lynch. Right. Uh, (laughs) um, And that's totally. That's totally there right like it's totally Absolutely. uh especially the late the like the longer this movie goes like it just really if it, it does feel lynchian in a way that like like you said already which is a lot of people use that term it gets thrown around a lot but like no like when you use that as a descriptor for blonde it's actually apt like <laughs> you know what i mean it's actually yes. it literally is that like you're like yeah this is very very fucking lynchian um and like I wasn't a completely like I, I've a, I'm a fan somewhat of um, Ana de Armas in terms of like not necessarily her acting as much as like there are certain actors actors who who the camera like just loves them. Right. And she's one of those actors where, yeah. where it's like it's not necessarily her like she has a certain kind of look. Right. And it is a certain which which makes her appropriate, you know person to play Marilyn Monroe because Marilyn Monroe had that kind of uh quality too that sort of intangible quality about her uh, and I feel
1: like yeah like it's it's not so much that mm-hmm. she looks like Marilyn Monroe but rather that they share that sort of yes it factor right and right. along that same line it's like there were a lot of complaints that like you know her like Cuban accent or Spanish accent mm-hmm. or whatever would like bleed through her dialogue and yeah i mean That's it does fair. at some point. Yeah, but it like mm-hmm. i feel like that just sort of underlines just how removed she was like you know Marilyn was from like the rest of the people in her life like she seems mm-hmm. sort of out of place and alien to that
2: i yeah i agree and and, and that was one of the things i did notice it in spots but it never really took away from the overall yeah like effect of the movie of the film like the film is so like you're right if that's a type of thing that if this was a bad movie or a lesser movie it would take you out of it which kind yeah. of again it kind of speaks to the movie and uh, speaks to the movie's quality that like yeah there's there's that in there but it's but it doesn't never. it's never it's not nothing that would take away from the totality of what blonde ultimately is and like she really does i don't know like she just has that 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 intangible quality where you do want to see her on camera and the camera likes her. You know what I mean? Like it it does. And you kind of get this, it kind of really in dominate the way he frames her and shoots her, which again, I will say this, she is a type of like, if you put her in a movie and, and you're not interested in like at least watching her, then you, you failed as a filmmaker. Cause she makes it easy. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like, like, she's just one of those people. She's, she's, she's an attractive woman, but, but it's something like that's not necessarily enough. We know a lot. There's a lot of attractive women, right? But it's just something about her on camera. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that 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 is you want to watch her, even if it's, even if her performance isn't necessarily, uh, even if she's not doing giving some sort of like over the top, you know, or, or maybe over the tops the wrong word because or the wrong phrase, but if she's not giving some very, uh, let's say a very emotional, resonant uh, performance of a scene, like it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like she doesn't need to do that. She's not that kind of, not that kind of actor. And for this role, uh, I don't think Marilyn was that. She wasn't. <laughs> I don't you know what I mean. So so it, it it's it kind of is, tailor-made for 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 her to do this so yeah i I mean i know people were skeptical about about her being cast but i really thought immediately like no it's perfect
1: like it's it's perfect casting absolutely and i mean i i do actually think because you do catch glimpses of marilyn as a serious artist you know Mm -hmm. filtered through anna doramas's performance of her like Mm -hmm. during that like when she's doing that one audition and they're like, she seems more like a mental patient than an actress. Like, I feel like that was a very yeah. emotional and hard-hitting performance. And I think I had read somewhere that, like, who, Lee Strasberg, the actor studio guy, had described yes. uh, the two best actors he ever worked with were Marilyn Monroe and Marlon Brando. And so, like, there was, she obviously had some... uh I don't even know if because it's not really intelligence with good acting. It's like instinct and like ability to pull that out of you. Yeah. Um, And that's always like, it's always interesting to me when like those audition scenes are always sort of an interesting to look at because it's an actor playing an actor doing acting kind of thing. Like it's like three, it's like two or three levels removed. And I don't know, I don't have much more yeah, on that. It's meta. Know. It's
2: like letting layer yeah. meta on top of meta. And, and, you're, oh, yeah. and, and, and honestly, you know, you really do have to sort of reassess uh, a figure like Marilyn Monroe because which this movie actually goes out of its way to point out a few mm-hmm. times, which is that Marilyn Monroe was a creation. So in a way, she was always acting. You know? Like Marilyn Marilyn Monroe was never, she was always acting like the whole time you saw her, she was putting on a performance. She was put and again, in that same way that you said, like Marilyn being Marilyn Monroe in a movie is not just her Marilyn Monroe playing a part. It's no, it's her playing Marilyn Monroe playing a part. So in, in and of itself is inherently layered on top of you he's know it's playing like,
1: norma jean playing mayor Monroe, Monroe, yeah. in a movie
2: playing another character you know
1: what i mean yeah it's yeah, like yeah, yeah it's like tropic thunder i'm a dude disguised as a dude playing another dude <laughs> right. and then that dude is played by robert downey junior <laughs> so he's playing the dude playing the dude playing the dude
2: yeah yeah and it's fascinating in that kind of when you think about it from that angle uh it, it is something that like I don't think she probably gets credit for by many. I mean, even myself, I really had to think about it in this moment to really sort of reassess sort of like my own sort of thoughts on Marilyn Monroe as an actor, because I think of more, her more, even when I talk about her, I think of more of her as an icon. You know what I mean? I think of more of her as a, as a star, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you put her in a, in a category of star, like we know there are actors with capital A's and then there are stars and those are two different things. And usually they're not mutually, you know, exclusive or whatever. But every now and then there's people who sort of occupy both things at once. But they're rare. Uh, and I feel she gets slotted in the star category more than the actor category. But maybe that's not a fair assessment of who she really was, given mm-hmm. the sort of life that she le- led. You know what I mean? Um, it's interesting. And again, like a movie like this, the fact that we're even talking about Marilyn Monroe in a way that's beyond just the surface level. Uh, kind of way people tend to think about her is like oh that's the chick that like you know girls on instagram like <laughs> post yeah, post agree. post <laughs> fucking memes are like wear on t-shirt or some shit you know what i mean like uh <laughs> you yeah. know yeah I, I feel like blonde is an attempt uh, a successful attempt at sort of like humanizing uh, a person who is treated as inhuman like as as a you know as again back to in a, in a world where we are inundated with mcu uh properties and superheroes like i feel like uh marilyn monroe in lesser hands would be treated like that she would be treated like a fucking iron man or some shit you know like <laughs> you know, yeah. like marilyn monroe in the
1: next uh marvel movie <laughs> yeah um well, and what's and it's also fascinating to me is just how like it feels so long ago like And maybe just because she was such an icon, it feels like she's been this sort of icon in the pantheon of stars, the new gods, you know, since time immemorial. But, like, she died in 1962, which was, like, the year my mom was born. And, like, she died only, like... What's Another thing that's interesting thing is, like, she died, like, only five years before Bonnie and Clyde, and then only, like, Seven years before Easy Rider so she really was like the kind of last of that sort of old guard of not even guard because she wasn't even really being a guard but part of that old scene of old Hollywood and it's kind of fascinating because obviously she was young enough still it's fascinating to imagine like a counterfactual where she was active in like the 70s and during like the new Hollywood movement. And like, I don't know, being in like Scorsese or Bogdanovich movies and stuff.
2: Yeah. That, that is something I thought about too, because when I was looking at the, when I was like, when the dates would appear on screen and it would be like 1952 or whatever, you'd be like, yo, that wasn't really that long ago. Like, you know what I mean? And she was fairly, if she was in her prime when she died, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, she, she had been going through a lot in terms of like, she was Uh, you know, a substance abuse and various other things that she had been through random divorces, you know, all of the scandals that attached to her, you know, all of that shit had had taken its toll on Marilyn Monroe. Uh, But, but she was very, she wasn't old by any stretch. Like, you know, she, she, she was, she could have, there is another alternative sort of timeline where she, she could have went on to have this career. Like you said, in those times, the sixties and the seventies and, And been a sort of, and it'd be interesting if, like Marilyn Monroe today, like if she was still around, like where, what, what kind of career would that, what would that look like? You know, the the post this because she was on the tail end of that shit. Even, 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 uh, you know, there's the scene where she's talk, where she's talking about like being hired for a movie, and she asked how much was it Hepburn, who who was the the other actress that was. was
1: Russell, I think. G- Jane, Jane Russell? Russell. It was Jane yeah. Russell. Yeah, it was Jane Russell. I think
2: so. And she was like, a hundred thousand. And she was like, fuck you. <laughs> like, you know, and hung up the phone yeah. because, you know, she was one of those like actresses at the time where they used to sign, to, you know, uh them to these studio deals where they were locked in and they just did, you know, all these movies for a certain like, you know, basically pennies. This is this is the era that gave birth to, you know, the, the sort of high, high paid millionaire actor like this was what this was the precursor to that you know she was the precursor to that and it the, the movie even like including that scene it actually touched on that I thought was actually another uh, kind of cool thing about it which is like oh yeah like because again like it's so easy to see these period pieces now that glaze over all this all this kind of like you know very interesting you know touches uh, and again like if Andrew Dominic if someone else made this, like, you know, um, not to, if, if this was like, I don't know, pick a director, if this was like Ava DuVernay's, like blonde, it would be horrible. It would not be good. You know, um, it would be, it, it wouldn't even buy, it might touch on that, but it would be some bullshit like, Oh, the gender pay gap, you know, some goofy, you know, like over, you know, ham-fisted, um, or, or, or like I said, uh, kind of. So it the subtlety would be gone. You know what I mean? Like, because it would be oh it would they would go out of their way to hammer in the point that like there is no and that's another thing there and i don't know i'll let you uh agree or disagree on me but i feel like subtext
1: is text now in modern film like i feel like a hundred percent yeah they would have if it had been made by someone and i feel like now it would be like uh because like all of the directors I can name are actually people who do have a trademark. And so now it would be just some random director for hire who, you know, no name person. And they would have created some kind of composite character who would have been like Marilyn or Norma Jean, don't you know your worth? You should blah, blah, blah. You should stand up, blah, blah, blah. Like they would be, they would put all the sort of they will put 2022 dialogue in that person's yeah. mouth.
2: Yeah. Presentism. So. That's, that's what that's like. Cause there's a lot of presentism in these movies. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, like I don't get, like, like, I just don't get the, 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 I understand why they're, why are they're doing it from a sort of business level. Right. Because mm. they're, they're reacting to sort of the climate socially. Right. But, but I don't understand it from a viewership level. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, why would you want to watch something like that? You know what I mean? That's the thing that, that, that I don't understand. Like, you know what I mean? Like the suits, they're going to do what they do. Like, you know what I mean? They're going to do what makes sense for them. They, they're just in it for money. Right. Like gone are the days of the sort of like, you know, um, the, the guys that work within the, the business who have like actual investment in the quality necessarily you know what i mean like are sort of like championing these maverick sort of filmmakers and voices and shit like that's it, it that died maybe it'll come back you know maybe it'll come back hopefully it'll come back but like the closest you get now is is maybe like you know um a studio like a24 which you know to me is like it's like mcu for like art house you know like in, in yeah, certain ways you know
1: what i'm saying are, like megan yeah. ellis like anna Karina, yeah. like yeah they do good stuff yeah i think mm. basically the gist I think of what we're arguing is or not arguing with each other but arguing for is right. not is we don't need better filmmakers we need better audiences yes i think there are filmmakers and producers who do daring stuff obviously because mm-hmm. we just watched one and they're talking about one but the audiences aren't really you know latching on to it,
2: yeah, I agree. and And it's interesting because it's like, how do you cultivate a better audience? You know what I mean? <laughs> like that that's the question is like how do you condition more or less condition the viewers to sort of uh, actually want more from the stuff they watch when when it's like actually everything that they watch, and like you even mentioned, like a lot of the Netflix. This is the rare Netflix uh, produced movie that isn't like background music. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is one of the few that they've actually, you know, gotten uh, uh, something that's worthy of of, of merit. It's, it's of merit. Like, you know, and, and I feel like most of their shit, they just turn on the money hose and they throw it and they just, most of it's just, you know, it might as well be a screensaver you know on your fucking on your laptop or on your tv because it's not really it doesn't really matter it exists to sort of uh fill the void but but it's that has no sort of nutrition artistically or otherwise you know uh and to get back on the blonde a little bit because i'm a king of tangents um what did you think about the way the movie handled sort of her and I know this is based on the the uh the uh Joyce Carroll Olds novel, right? Um mm-hmm. which I haven't read. Um but neither have I what do you think of the way it handled sort of her uh, the various uh relationships with men that she had like obviously the one that comes to mind first is the Charlie Chaplin and J- Jr. and uh what's the other uh famous celebrity Bertie Robinson Jr. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. Two yeah
1: scions of old yeah. Holy
2: yeah um, which first of all, the first time I ever heard about that that sort of like shit was through James
1: Elroy <laughs> Ironically. that whole yeah. that whole sequence seemed like some real widespread panic stuff. yeah, and partially that makes me want to like a am- an Andrew Dominic directed widespread panic would be insane. That
2: would be insane. I would love for yeah. that to happen. I wonder if Dominique's an Elroy fan. I wonder it's interesting. He seems like a guy. again, he did a fucking George V. Higgins novel, so he has to. Yeah. He knows I was his
1: stuff yeah so so I I next time you hang out with Tyrese get him to get Dominic <laughs> on the phone
2: get Dominic on the phone okay like, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think Tyrese knows any of like if I told him he's a very like like oh, but, very he's a guy from you know he, he's from Watts like he's not really you know like he makes his money but like I tell you know sometimes I talk to him and this is a guy you got to remember uh he's been on movie sets for decades right and I'm I ta- yeah. I tell he's been on way more movie sets than me and I'm telling him about stuff like <laughs> like like, how do you not? <laughs> because it's not, you know, he's not really like into it like that. That's my that's my guy. But he's not <laughs> he's not like he doesn't care about this shit. <laughs> you know, he's, he's like, yo, when's the next fast shooting? I, want, I'm, I need my money. Um, uh, but but yeah, uh, uh, Andrew Dominique has got it like that would be that would be a great, you know, what's the book that what's the the book that the other Otash book? I forget the name of it. I'm blanking on it. Uh, before widespread panic, because widespread panic is the second, right? Otash book.
1: Uh, no, he did a couple of like short stories, but no, that's like the first. I think he's working on a sequel, though, actually. But like he, Otash has been in like a bunch of the other Elroy books. Like, but what's I think the other? Makes...
2: What's the other? Because there was another Elroy book, and I'm blanking on it. Um, there's another Elroy that's not part of the new uh La. Quartet, you know, which started with like mm-hmm. Profidia, there was a book, but that wasn't part of those. That was a standalone too, and I can't remember the name of it. I'm blanking on it, and it wasn't. Um, it is before. What the hell is the name of that book? Uh, I have to. I well, might as well pull it up and look. And I thought that was uh, involved Otash too. If I'm, I don't know. Maybe not though. I could be confusing too. Let's see. Widespread, James Elroy.
1: He did a couple of memoirs called "My Dark Places and Hilliker yeah, Curse.
2: Yeah, I remember those. Those were about um, him his mom and, and his yeah. life growing up. Uh, there's another I thought there was a I could have swore there was another novel that James Elroy books, let's see
1: uh, yeah, no i'll I'll extrapolate a bit while you look yeah. for that. Um, yeah. but yeah, no, that whole sequence was really interesting. And weirdly, like even though there was some obviously exploitative kind of creepy stuff with those two guys, that arguably seemed to be the relationship that was the most loving. Yeah, um,
2: it was. It felt was it felt like that. Yeah, I mean, her. I would say that the relate the the Arthur Miller relationship. Yeah, it, that too. It, that felt loving, but not in. But it really did feel like in this movie that like her true love was like being with
1: uh fucking those. Those the first yeah
2: yeah yeah the, they were a fucking what what, what we call it they would they would be called a poly couple now yeah, <laughs> a,
0: poly, they, a, a little polycule, polycule.
2: <laughs> yeah a fucking polycule uh, 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 uh so in a way she was a trailblazer i guess <laughs> uh as i'm trying to like blank on this fucking
1: uh the yeah, DiMaggio relationship was interesting. One thing that I noted is how you can tell that the only reason she called uh, DiMaggio daddy through the rest of the movie mm-hmm. is because during that, like, when she goes up to meet him and she thinks she's going to meet her dad for the first time, and she says daddy, and then she sees that it's DiMaggio Like it seemed like she then just called DiMaggio daddy as like kind of cover to like hide that part of herself. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I caught that too. Yeah. Because and then and then it started to become a reoccurring thing where she would just start to call like her lover's daddy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like after that scene, like because I remember her call wouldn't she call like Arthur Miller daddy once too? Like it became just part of part of like uh, uh, the way she referred to men. And obviously, I mean it. It it is a movie that deals with her sort of, you know, absent. You know, the fact that she has daddy issues, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds cliche. Marilyn Monroe has daddy issues, but uh, I mean, it is a big uh, it is a big part of this story, which is the the movie literally starts with her mom explaining to her like why her dad's not there and who her dad is, like you know what I mean? Or 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 it's like, let me show you something. She walks her into this room and then points at this picture that we see again <laughs> throughout the movie. Um, yeah. This is your father. And and, and, then, and then even trying to go see him up on the hill, um, which was interesting, um, which we didn't really touch on, which is when they show her driving up in the Hollywood Hills during this fucking fire. And she's like, he lives on top of the hill in a fireproof home. Uh, and I thought that was interesting.
1: That scene was, that scene was harrowing because you basically mm-hmm. realize – it almost kind of remind me in a way of like, you know, Abraham leading his son up the mountain to like sacrifice him because God said so kind of thing. Yeah, um, definitely. And like, it's sort of like this woman is like willing to like have her daughter burn to death and like almost like a ritual sacrifice kind of like that gets into all the whole Hollywood occult kind of stuff. Um because she's just so thoroughly deranged and thinks that whoever this man is is her father and will like save them yeah that was like all of the stuff with the mom freaked me out Just because like i feel like having a bad or absentee father is one thing but like if your mom is bad you're like totally just fucked i guess um (laughs)
2: Yeah,
0: yeah
1: so really ultimately the movie is a parable about what happens when you have like a psycho mom and Mm -hmm. and that's definitely of a piece with like it's some shades of like whatever happened to baby jane with that kind of stuff um just this sort of i guess hurdled uh motherhood or something
2: yeah and and then and then though what about oh and this is this is something i really i really thought was was interesting was the abortion sequences Mm -hmm. um and like (laughs) The, the shot of like the speculum like and you get to see like the you the walls of the literally the pussy walls
1: <laughs> yeah that was wild that was that wild was like some, that was like some <laughs> gaspernoa shit right that now. was definitely they did it
2: not once but they did it multiple times too like you know or it was like oh here's the pussy walls again i was yeah. not expecting uh pussy walls in this movie um uh, I don't know about you Jacob but uh, that was a very uh, I was like yo oh shit like this this is when I knew this movie went hard <laughs> I was
0: like okay oh, yeah. this,
2: this movie if I if i didn't think this movie was going hard it, it was going hard Uh, I, I just and and again it's just funny because like I remember when like movies like Jade used to come out right you know what I mean Amen. Um, and like that did get an NC-17 rating with like Linda Florentino and like for like sexual content and I'm like Yeah,
1: like the whole like erotic thriller era.
2: And I've I've heard people say this, but I like with the advent of Blonde and what was the other movie that came out that was NC seventeen? Um I'm blanking on it. But there's another MC N C seventeen movie that recently came out too, and like people are saying the NC seventeen movie is back. And I would like actually that to happen. Like I really would like that to be a thing. Um because I do feel like uh NC17 while I I think that this movie is really an R rated movie if we're going to ha- if if that's really what movies have to be labeled to uh, for us to get adult adult movies again then cool fuck it yeah you know what i mean if that's what it is if that's what it means that it has to take the NC7 i'll take it like let's just make more NC17 movies uh because i'm just not interested in everything being like again like and again one of the main criticisms of this movie is that it's bleak and that it ends tragically and like and it's like As if that's a crime, (laughs) like as if as if that's wrong, as if you can't have movies that are that don't give you sort of a a happy ending. Like as it's like it just ignores the history of like so many great movies across cinema. Like 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 you know like this movie is bleak, but it's not fucking salo level bleak. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean. Well, I feel like they should if they're gonna bring back the NC seventeen movie, they should just really bring back the X rating because like the X rating obviously it has. It's way more visually cool, just like an Mm. X. And it's more sort of, NC-17 is such a kind of like, I don't know, there's something cold and clinical about it. But if you see a movie that's like X-rated, it doesn't so much. I feel like NC-17 sort of has like a suggestion of like specific content that you're going to see, you know? But like a movie that's X-rated is more about like the tone or mood or style style of it i don't know if that makes sense but i don't know that's what i'm thinking
2: no i i, I see where you're i see where you're going with that and I, I i do agree but it's just interesting that like uh i feel like as a society like we live in an era where like i feel like the majority of people have seen kim kardashian uh get fucked on camera by ray j like um so it's just very interesting that like uh uh like the content the ratings that we have for shit is so like still sort of held to this standard of like the 70s 80s 90s if you know in, in terms of like what they're based on right like that's obviously changed in terms of like what what people demon are now isn't what they would demon are in the past but the rating exists right the rating ex- right. the rate those ratings exist and they were created in a certain time right and it feels like they don't hold any relevance now given the access to actual like Pornography that people have at their fingertips at all times now like you know what I mean like it's like so it's just weird that there's been this kind of like full scale like new puritanical kind of uh, energy about like content that's being put out you know in terms of like mainstream uh not
1: only yeah, not like only the new the keyboard, haze code basically it
2: is it really is like the new haze code it's just the the code is not like an official code anymore it's just it's enforced <laughs> it's enforced and this is the expectation is like no you gotta you're get you will get in trouble <laughs> like you can't even you're not allowed to even have certain things in uh, uh you're not allowed to depict certain things well you can depict certain things as long as the people that you depict them uh horrible things can happen to people it's just who the identity of who it happens to like that's it right like yeah. just pick the easy target like if 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 you want to have a movie where it's filled with like rape and violence then just make all of them men you know yeah exactly just make them all men and you're fine or make them white men and you're definitely fine like if if you make them you know what i mean like there's even black men like you can do it with black men like i don't think you get a lot of pushback uh but you couldn't do it with women um you definitely couldn't do it with like uh it's just like again, it's like the protect. There's a protected groups that that exists now, and it's reflective in the sort of work now that's being put out. And it's just funny because it's like I would respect it if if it was across the board, right? Like mm-hmm. if it was like, okay. Even then, I would push back because I don't really believe in like censorship, but especially in art. But 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 uh, there's no consistency, right? It's not it's not consistent at all. It's like are because some of these same people that would have criticisms for a movie like Blonde only care because uh they view Marilyn Monroe as an avatar for sort of like whatever bullshit, you know, new women's lib movement that they decided to sort of adopt the talking points for, you know, and 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 Marilyn Monroe wasn't even down with no shit like that. Like you know what I mean? Like she died way yeah. before that she would even have knowledge of sort of the way it exists in the current times, at least. You know what I mean? Like she was not this sort of icon of uh the feminist movement (laughs) like that's not who she was and to sort of like graft on these sort of ideologies or these sort of like to her is it's again it goes back to that like rewriting of history that like making depicting things as and it would be one thing if 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 you were just making some shit that's just totally fake and fabricated but they tend to sort of like pass this off as legitimate history you know what i mean when it's not like even this isn't legitimate history that's the interesting thing about the biopic in general like it doesn't matter, like the quality of the bio, like JFK, like which is probably Oliver Stone's best movie, right? Like that—that's not real, like you know what I'm saying? Like that's not actually like, yeah, it's 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 his account of you know the JFK assassination told through the lens of the one specific character, and is based on you know those that that shit. But it's not—it's still a movie, like you know.
1: What I'm saying? And he and like in that example, he explicitly said that it—he described it as a counter myth. To the myth of the Warren Commission. So he wasn't saying that he was debunking it. He said he was like basically providing an alternate myth. And by like the same token, it's like with Blonde, it's not even like a sort of biopic, technically. It's Mm -hmm. like the book, it's based on it. Like Joyce Carroll Oates goes to great pains to say that no, this is a fictional novel. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's just like across the board, they people just sort of watch a movie set during a time period and sort of take it as gospel is, well, that's how it went down.
2: Yeah. And and, and on that, that note about like Joyce Carol Oates saying it was fiction. Do you, I got the sense, and, and I don't know if you got this sense, but I got the sense that she did that for like legal legality purposes. Like, you know what I mean? Like I feel like yeah. she, she shied away from this being like a biopic because she just knew like, Those are the states of sort of certain people were probably very litigious, like, you know what I mean? Whether it's the fucking uh, I don't know. I don't know if. uh, It's all the men that she's sort of depicts as, you know, her her, Maryland's lovers, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure, you know, her deciding to adamantly tell everyone that this is fiction It's not a biopic was was in a way to cover her ass. You know what I mean? Like, uh, because I,
1: I could see that.
2: You know what I mean? Because it feels like a very straightforward, again, I haven't read blonde, um, but seeing that adaptation of it and seeing the stories that with people that we know, Marilyn Monroe has been rumored allegedly to have engaged in um, some verifiable, some not necessarily that verifiable, but we kind of know, um, seems to be a pretty uh, plausible, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, a pretty plausible uh depiction of
1: yeah well and what i've read of not read of the book but read about the book is that and i think you see this in the credits for blonde as well is that like you know joe dimaggio is the ex-athlete arthur miller is the playwright Mm -hmm. and uh john f kennedy is the president like they have just they're named by their titles Mm -hmm. and a part of me i think is a degree of You know, fear of litigiousness. But like, I also think it's another way of making it even more of a sort of a, you know, to use the Oliver Stone terminology, a counter myth of the Marilyn Monroe iconography by just using these basically taking these archetypes of these male characters. So it's not just like specific about them, it's sort of. Of the time, but also a sort of timeless aspect.
2: Yeah, I did notice that. Well, DiMaggio, they go out of their way to never say his name for sure. Um, yeah. Um, obviously, you don't have to say JFK. It's clearly JFK, <laughs> right? Uh, but they do say they do say Arthur Miller when, but it's only in the the newspaper, the like the tabloid rag, right? When they flash that, like Marilyn Monroe marries right? writer Arthur Miller, or some, you know what I mean? Like they just yeah, yeah. sort of in a similar way that they did with the sort of hush hush kind of uh magazine tabloid rag when they talked about Marilyn Monroe's uh, affair with uh, Charlie Chaplin. And, yeah. and you know what I mean? Like they, 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 they do it, but they do it in a way that's very sort of like specific. It's almost like you said, they kind of dance around it in a way, but again, they still get to fall back on that idea. Like, well, this is not based on real it's, it's fiction. It's an adaptation yeah. of fiction. Like uh, which I think is a very clever work around because that's probably how Elroy gets away with all of it right you know what I mean like it's like this is fiction it's clearly fiction I'm making this shit up
1: <laughs> it's based well, he on also focuses on like I feel like his because like his big thing is like he wants to outlive the Clintons so he can finally write about them and so awesome. like and like he and like he avoided Watergate in the third Underworld USA trilogy uh mm-hmm. Bloods are over like he avoided Watergate for well one he said it bored the shit out of him but also because like a lot of the people at the time hadn't been dead yet mm-hmm. and so yeah he he wants to only defame the dead instead of getting sued by the living
2: yeah and it's interesting because it's like fuck I, I would love to see Elroy delve into sort of like the Clinton universe in terms of like depicting yeah. that because there's so much there it's so ripe for him to like dig into but it's like, fuck, I'm looking at his age and I'm comparing like and I feel like Hillary's going to hang around forever. dog. I feel like she's going to be like the queen of England. Like she's just going to be here for fucking ever until she finally passes Absolutely, away. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then it's like Bill. I think Bill's I don't I don't think Bill's going to make it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like he seems like he's a shell of his former self. He's he's definitely he's very similar to, to to Joe Biden in that regard. We're like, oh, God, this guy can croak any minute. Um. So I think Elroy will definitely outlive Bill Clinton hillary i don't know and then even if hillary goes what about her daughter would she would you know what i mean like
1: that's a great question yeah
2: yeah so we might unfortunately not get get that unfortunately we need to figure a way to like uh extend james elroy's life and give him like immortality (laughs) absolutely (laughs) so he he can write this fucking clinton elroy longevity project yeah we gotta figure it out like whatever fucking uh shit that uh Ad- Adrenochrome chrome that like the clintons allegedly take <laughs> we need to give it to Very, elroy yeah. we need to give it to fucking elroy so he can live longer uh, uh cuz we definitely would need that um and i'm trying to think of, in terms of just uh uh this this movie like to get back on that is cuz i do really feel like i put this as like probably like one of the best movies of the year easily um if not right there um and a part of a big part of the reason i do a podcast called mutual aberration society is because i always want to talk about things that i feel like aren't getting talked about necessarily but in 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 regards to blonde specifically i feel like just given the climate and given the critical response it's it's important for me to talk about this movie about how actually good it is because i feel like you're getting a lot of shit where it's like Saying it's not for reasons that have nothing To do with the actual movie mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean which makes well, it and It's important to get in on the record Before right. before. You know, be- before the uh, critical reappraisal mm-hmm. Five or ten years from now When people are like oh yeah I always loved that Movie right where whereas We can you know point to this episode And be like no we loved it from the Very beginning and, Assholes. and
2: Exactly And the first uh, episode Of this podcast was Crimes of the Future, which is another movie that people have gotten completely fucking wrong. Where I'm like, I think, like, no, you guys are wrong. Like, this is a great Cronenberg movie. Like, you guys are, you guys are wrong right now. Like, in real time, I'm listening to sort of people's arguments about why this isn't a good Cronenberg movie. And I'm like, are you watching the same movie that I'm watching? You know what I mean? And I'm listening to the criticisms of it. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm like, no, no, this is like vintage Cronenberg. This is Cronenberg firing on all cylinders this is Cronenberg in his in his Cronenberg bag like this is legitimately good Cronenberg and and the people that are like well you know it's like it's like body horror again I just love how everyone's an aficionado on body horror right like they don't even know what it really is but it's like you're talking about the guy who kind of like popularized the thing right like (laughs) you know uh and it's like no this is this is Cronenberg doing what Cronenberg does well um and you may not feel I don't know like i don't know i just feel like it's it's that's a movie just like this movie that like comes came out this year um that people are sort of 50 50 on if not outright like saying it's like not and i'm like no like no like because i i watch people praise movies of different from different eras for the reasons that they uh will criticize these other movies for and it's like it's weird. It's like it's almost like if people people can't can't see that, right? Like people ha- lack the ability to sort of uh, see sort of their own critical analysis of something um, in regards to something new uh, that they have. All of these sort of nitpicky, baseless sort of like criticisms about but then in the same breath will praise a movie from like the 90s or uh for this all of the things that you say are kind of flaws in these new movies you know what i mean like it's just weird like i don't know i don't know well, if yeah, you...
1: it's like you'll be like i hated blonde but i love mahal drive it's like it, well
2: and you see that like mm. that is a that is a take that is a take that is a very like a lot of these people that love they claim to love david lynch will shit on the wand and i'm like okay but like you do realize that (laughs) you do realize that this is a very lynchian movie like you do know that right like uh why do you like mulholland drive why do you like uh like you said why do you like lost highway or whatever like why do you like uh what's what's uh it's another reappraisal uh is the uh the movie with Lord, uh, uh Lord,
1: uh, uh, Inland Empire,
2: Inland Empire, Inland Empire has got this, this, this new, like reappraisal. And now everyone likes Inland Empire now, you know what yeah. I mean? And I'm like, okay, but how can you like that? And then criticize a movie like blonde, <laughs> Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like it just, I can't square that in my brain. Like how, how one person can do that? Like, you know what I mean? Not it, it, it's very, it's just interesting, but, but it does, highlight uh, what we've been talking about which is sort of the disconnect because criticism is dead let's just be honest like it is it, it is a dead thing um i don't know if you know but did you see uh the the controversy did you hear about the controversy about this the sort of uh the i think it's the rotten Tomatoes score for uh that stupid movie uh the woman king
1: i did not tell me about it
2: so uh, initially, apparently uh, this movie was getting like 40 percent, like a 40 percent audience cr- or cr- uh, rating right from the audiences. And then um, literally overnight, it shot up to ninety nine percent. And you start to look through the accounts and it's like one st- verified accounts with one review and it's only for for that movie.
1: So it's and like what it's, movie was it again? Uh, the Woman okay. King. So, oh yeah um, i've heard of that one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that looks so, so, like dog shit
2: right it, it, it's dog it, it's a fucking fucked up movie because it's revisionist history it 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 it, it takes the dahomey which who were like a big basically the dahomey the kingdom of the Dahomey. they kidnapped uh other africans and sold them into slavery and then uh they did it to the point where when the british actually decided to abolish the slave trade they they sent uh diplomatic parties out to Dahomey to tell them to stop and they said no fuck you <laughs> and they wouldn't stop uh and this is and they decided to pick this group as Marvel superheroes basically <laughs> you know what I mean like it's very it's like you're like what the fuck uh but beyond that it just looks like a bad basically movie basically
1: making it like Wakanda or something right like that.
2: right it's like it's crazy like you of all the people you could have picked of all the you know you picked this but that besides that right um it's just yeah like it's clearly they've they paid for like the critical sort of score to have because it's like, it went from 40% to 99% rating, And like I said, you start looking through all the, it's like literally verified accounts with one review. Um, And again, it just kind of speaks to sort of this idea of like criticism is just a dead art. We don't have Pauline Kales anymore. You know what I mean? Like we don't have sort of, we don't even have Eberts and, Siskel and, Ebertin, and I, you know what I mean? <laughs> You know, we don't even have guys like that anymore uh i don't know like the the closest equivalent would be i don't even know would be sort maybe you'd have to look to youtube or something maybe maybe you would i, I maybe the red letter media guys but i don't even look at them as like critics necessarily not in this not in the classic sense right like mm. they're they're not guys who are like writing like these reviews they're just doing youtube appraisals i mean not too dissimilar to podcasts i mean you know what i mean as we talk about a movie but it's still it's not criticism in a way that it in in a sort of formalist way you know that that's not a thing anymore um and i feel like maybe that's coming back too because i do feel like there is a whole new you know as you know in in the podcast space there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting things going on you know there's a lot of uh movement like you mentioned you know like all of the people like you know whether it's yourself and and sort of the the, the elroy boys but all even you know you've mentioned the perfume Nationalists. there's there's a lot of stuff going on you know there's a lot of po- podcasts things things going on on the fringes uh or what gives me sort of like uh a, a sense of like oh no no people are still doing things that are that are uh pushing the envelope in different ways it's just those things have been kind of like relegated to those fringes almost like they're not allowed in yet you know what i mean mm-hmm. like and and it's like slowly but surely you see like as the as the as the sort of sensitivity wanes the new age sensitivity wanes you start to see oh like those people in those spaces and those sort of voices that are typically boxed out are starting to get a, they're starting to make a little bit more noise and it's getting louder it's getting louder, and it's like at some point that shit's gonna crest, like you know. Because I do really feel like I'm not alone in this. I know, you know, and, and I'll let you speak for yourself. But I, I'm just tired of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm just tired of whatever this new sort of, uh, these new attitudes about like art and what it means and what you're allowed to depict and not to depict. I'm just kind of like I'm like I'm an adult. Like I remember, <laughs> like you know, I remember like being a kid. And, like, seeing what my my parents, like, the things that they had, like, in generations their parents had, like, in terms of, like, uh, just the, the, uh, the way the world treated them and the expectations about the world, right? Like, where it's like, oh, no, they actually lived in a world of adults and they, in the world, and they sort of, the expectations were, I'm an adult, like, you don't need to sort of nerf everything for me you know you don't need to make everything so i don't know like again it's just infantilization like to the degree that like i feel like i'm not interested in any of that i'm just not interested in that i'm not interested in you know the kind of uh after school special uh art like i just don't i don't need it i don't want it you know that's my soapbox (laughs)
0: <laughs> beautiful yeah
2: yeah yeah yeah. but i think that's a good that's a good that's a good point for me to sort of wrap up uh this episode on blonde um and as i do that uh i do want to ask you a little bit about apocalypse confidential because i know you touched on it a little bit in the intro but i feel like that's a good thing to talk about as we sort of put a button on this and uh What's going on with Apocalypse Confidential? Um, what can we look for? Uh,
1: let's see. We're doing, what is it? We, about a, well, geez, now almost two months ago, we did our uh, Summer of the Shark special, which went off phenomenally. Was really pleased with the feedback and the submissions for that one. Um, our next special is going to be on Veterans Day or Armistice Day elsewhere, and it's going to be war. Um, because, you know, the sort of cloud of war has been hanging over us this past year. Um, actually, funnily enough, our one-year anniversary February on February 23rd was the night that Russia invaded Ukraine. And so it's sort of, it's been, uh, you know, an ongoing thing. And so seemed appropriate to do a war special this year. So we have that going on. And then after that, I think we'll probably announce around like Halloween, we're going to do like a Christmas special, but like, obviously this is Apocalypse Confidential style Christmas. And so it'll be kind of like, you know, like, you know, I don't know. I like, I like the tradition of uh, old school, like Victorian era ghost stories. Like, I guess in England, Christmas was the time of the year to tell ghost stories, not Halloween and so it'd be cool to sort of bring that tradition back and, you know, maybe some crime stuff too. I don't know, maybe a department store Santa wanting to rob a bank, you know, that kind of thing. So oh, those yeah. are the two big, uh, two big specials that we have left for the year. Other than that, just grinding it out, you know, with general submissions. And then some good stuff in, on the pipeline next year, we kind of want to get into, uh, publishing so actually publishing books and um and yeah and maybe you know maybe start getting into the podcast arena kind of 10 we sort of been holding back on the podcast stuff just because there are so many good pods doing it like yourself like agitator like perfume nationalist you know so it just sort of would seem like a bit of a redundancy but i think you know we're slowly picking putting together a kind of what we would bring to the podcast table. And we hopefully hope to bring that around sometime next year as well.
2: That sounds, that would be, that sounds awesome. Uh, and you mentioned like of Santa uh, Robin and bank. Have you seen the silent partner?
1: <laughs> um, I have no wait. That was a bank robbery Santa one, right? Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. It had Elliot it Gould as a long
1: the- time, obviously it, cause it's been lodged in my uh, subconscious. So yeah, I think I saw that a long time ago
2: yeah it's a pretty it's a pretty good uh a uh, fucking little bank robbery kind of thriller crime thriller with like i said elliot gould plays the uh the banker but it's christopher Plummer, i believe who plays the bad guy uh, nice. uh in a fucking very fucked up like fucked up role so yeah that's uh you really yeah. watch that one yeah, yeah this definitely i this is feel is like a,
1: i've seen it but i don't have a clear memory of it yeah
2: it's it's it, i think you you would enjoy it uh but yeah, man. Thanks again, Jacob, aka Blower guys, aka uh El- the 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 uh, Elroy boy. <laughs> her, yeah. Uh, I hope uh to check out what's coming up with you and Apocalypse Confidential. And I do secretly, quietly hope that you guys do bring back Elroy boys at someday. Um, because I do feel like as crowded as the podcast space is, you guys fill this very specific uh niche that is not being. It's just there still. Like you know what I mean There's not a lot of Elroy shit And I feel like Elroy's kind of like a national treasure So I feel
1: like thank uh, you. Yeah well as I always say Elroy boys will write again Just don't know when But they will we will
2: And and on that note The Elroy boys will write again uh, And that is the end of the podcast So as always I don't know how to end the podcast So it's over <laughs> Thanks man Yeah.
0: Thank you yeah. Asked the tourists, wandering Chernobyl's wildlife flourish. She said it herself, you gotta hold something back, that's insurance. That's our coffee gas cracked, the purest radiation flew out my phone, jack like a current. A snap of a collarbone, black bras, strap, never nothing lurid. For those cold wars, you need endurance. Dead fish, wild boars swollen with tumors. Snippets, dialogue, swimming in an aqueous humor The alienation zone is 30 kilometers wide I'm a sucker, I fall for it every time My patrol fled to the forest, hitting the pines Still set a place for her, unless the doors she come inside The alienation zone is 30 kilometers wide. I'm a sucker, I fall for it every time. My patrol fled to the forest, hid in the ponds. Still set a place for her, I latched the door so she could come inside. A supposedly fun thing I'll never do again. Souls and eat Skip to the end. The cold creeping in my bones. Wind whip around my home. She came when I'm sleeping. Rest leaking. Pussy unkempt. Around her the light pen. Split hitting right. Light like an opium den. Couldn't quite see her face. It was like the night move with the whim. I had to piff with the fragile stems. She had some dower from a friend. Nobody beats the bears. I mind my business it's Wolves beyond the fences, snares in the snow Wolves at home in bed, peep the teeth like a dentist Irredentist, red army faction Around the crib I dug trenches Mine roads, interrogated peasants The mine closed, the shaft open Who knows where the mine goes? In the morning my pillows smell of pine cones Flipping and heat like dyslexia. Half an ounce to make you move your feet down, check me